0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Quantum Consumer Podcast, name pending. Um, we have uh, another podcast for you today, um, but I am joined by The Walker. How are you doing, buddy? Hi. Hi. Right. are you doing well? Good. And we have our buddy Hayes. How, buddy, how about you, buddy? Hey, where is he? Who?
1: Hmm? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you weren't with us necessarily. You today. either
2: are or aren't there until we look at you.
0: Yes, Schrodinger's
2: person. Uh, we weren't. We were, we have point of view of haze. The universe either does or doesn't exist until someone opens the box. I don't yeah, want right? to be right. observed anymore.
0: <laughs> you know, we have um, we had a pretty interesting today as far as like you know work and everything. Finding and stuff. you had your interesting day. You know, yeah, it was alright.
1: I I think I had the better day uh, between the two, the three I, of I'd us. I'd say yes. Prost. Uh,
0: but yes, uh, post we do have our new uh tankards for the podcast cheers gentlemen
2: uh enjoy enjoy some mead it's bad luck to toast if you don't make eye contact with the person you're toasting with. oh damn
1: oh wow that's amazing that ages really well holy cow this is better this i think this is probably my favorite batch yet really i like how this tastes
0: because you really like the old one
1: i which one
0: so you like the (laughs) old refined one which was crystal clear this one no. Oh. This is a new batch. So, this right? is a new okay. batch, yeah. Interesting.
2: Your, your dog gets in here.
0: Yes. Memory. All of the old shit is gone, unfortunately. Mm. So yes, we have our tankards full of mead.
2: I feel like this one has a little bit more of the fruity taste and like this very yeah. sweet Yeah. A stuff, lot of so the florals mm-hmm. notes yeah. of the honey.
1: It's really it's really good. It's not overpoweringly sweet, yeah. which was my problem with one of the other batches a while ago.
2: All right, sprinkles. Unfortunately, doggo, you have to go. This is actually not the alcohol review, which I guess we're about to go into. You know what?
1: I could start talking about that. Um I was at the store the other day, and I saw this thing of Jameson Orange, and I'm like, what the hell is Jameson? Don't know. Um, didn't even care. It was just orange. And I was like, you know what? Doesn't know what whiskey is. Or, 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 I didn't see it was whiskey. I didn't even Explain read Explain what
2: is whiskey. What is whiskey? Uh, Explain that to me.
1: Oh, shoot. I don't know. Uh, Def, you've,
2: define whiskey to me. Is
1: it? Okay. Hold on.
2: So it would be... Is is it
1: corn, or is thats that... Is that can be made out of corn, oh, that's bourbon. Fuck, which one is it? Um I don't remember now. You know this better than me.
2: I do. Brandon. Cox. Brandon, Cox. he doesn't know what whiskey is. I don't is.
1: remember how whiskey's made.
2: So essentially whiskey, you take grain alcohol, right? Uh, I could get into making that, but that's basically yes, not make. important. Basically you make grain alcohol, you distill it several times until yes. it gets very strong and then you put it in a wooden barrel to age for a while and yes. that is whiskey aged grain alcohol yes indeed depending on how uh, the mixtures of the alcohol or the basically your mash whatever grains you use depend uh, and where it's made can uh, change what you can market it as so scotch in some countries has to be made in Scotland yes uh you also In Scotch, for even if it's made in Scotland, it has to be made with a certain type of grain, usually uh, barley, and then they, you know, they use peat or they use something else to smoke it to to uh, kill the um, the barley corn as it's uh, germinating, and that's where you get like the smokiness of a Scotch. And then in America, the more popular version is bourbon, which is has to be at least I think fifty one percent corn or fifty percent corn or something like that.
0: Uh, Bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yes. it's mostly corn it's mostly corn and it has to be
2: aged in new american oak yes. or new sugar oak and there's
0: there's barrels. also interesting interesting history behind that as well um why they made that a thing to keep coopers yeah
2: um exclusively that's that's the only reason <laughs> which i mean based that's all the american, people use barrels for in help the american economy yeah. um so that's and then irish is basically they use a percentage of unmalted barley and that's because they were trying to increase their profit margins due to British taxes. And it be- it became its own flavor that they now have. And That's uh, cool. they added an E to it, I believe. There's no E in whiskey, except if it's Irish whiskey. Though A lot of the time in America, it's either or. Um, but if you ever see something that says Scotch whiskey with an E, it's not real Scotch. Yes.
0: Hmm. It's very uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I've
1: actually not had regular Jameson, so I had no clue it was whiskey, and I didn't read the label. I just saw it, it was orange. Like, the label is orange, and it said
2: orange on it. I was like, I will have cool. to... I think it does one also these... say whiskey on the label. I can't see it. I didn't here. read that part.
0: One of these things that we'll have to do is we'll have to review uh, Jameson Cold Brew, which is a similar um, sort of vein of Jameson products where it's not necessarily normal um, whiskey straight, but it is infused with either, you know, sort of certain, certain
2: thing. Give me like a two-ounce
0: I'm sipping on it for the entire podcast, sure, suggesting that it's that's good. that's what the mead was for. yeah. pass me my rocks, please. It definitely smells of orange. All right, and here we go for the Jameson Orange. Like an orange popsicle, actually. Holy shit. It smells like orange. It smells great, doesn't it? That is amazingly smelling. Oh, my God. It smells like orange candy. Well. Isn't that smooth? This is... Ninety proof? No, uh, no. This would be
2: eighty. This is definitely here. I know what it
1: looks. <laughs> <laughs> He's the real alcoholic. Yeah, tell me what that it's is.
2: Thirty percent actually. So it's only okay. sixty proof.
0: Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. But it does definitely
2: taste like. Essentially, is, what they've done is put orange peel. That's remarkable. Orange orange actually that was really, good. really tasty. How much was this? This was I don't remember. Okay.
0: I'm sorry. I mean it's Jameson's probably not Jameson's, more than like Jameson's twenty thirty dollars. Jameson's cheap, but actually really in a good way, like you're you whiskey like Jameson's not bad, but it is kind of at that tier level. Okay. Right.
2: It's not great, it's not bad. One of the types of Jameson that I actually like is the Caskmates edition. Where it's um I hear, I hear where they take more. Don't tell me what to do. Basically, what they take is uh, now it's facing the wrong. How
0: do you spin it? Just grab it and rotate it like that. Not by the okay, well, cable yeah, like that. Oh, oh, oh shit! Oh yeah, shit! Did I
2: didn't do that. Um. Yeah. So basically, they make whiskey in these barrels, then they give them to a craft beer maker, and they make beer in those barrels. Yeah, yeah And yeah. then they take them back. That's 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 one I don't yeah. like. I don't really like their normal one, it's, except um, unless it's like a an Jameson and ginger. This will
0: we'll have to try. It's been a while since I tried the Jameson cold brew. Um, mm-hmm. so it sounds good we'll have to we'll have to try that also grab those papers off the printer if you don't mind
1: do
2: you want them?
0: yeah there's also the sheets for the podcast so our itinerary I can just read it
1: off you this itinerary. mead is extremely refreshing yes isn't it this, it's, my, I mean like your guys' day again has probably been worse than mine but like I am very happy that I'm drinking this right now it's it feels good after a long day at work This feels pretty good. It's not even an advertisement. I'm just, this is good. Yeah, um, honestly, it's been
2: quite popular with the folks that I've given it to. The orange Jameson, like the acidity of it and the flavor of it reminds me more of like, like I said, the orange peel rather than the...
0: This beats out, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So like like, yeah. Like the pith,
2: yeah. Like the, well, not the pith, but the zest. I mm. mm-hmm. see what you mean. Yeah. So, like, if I were to put orange zest into whiskey, I would expect, like, a lot of it, I would expect yeah. it to taste something like this.
0: Yeah. It's actually really delightful. I'm glad yeah. you brought that in. I am. So it's good. actually turned me on to something flavored. That's very hard to find a good flavored whiskey. Yeah. Because sometimes, like, for example, I can think of um, Tennessee Honey Whiskey, which they still have, I believe, 40% alcohol, 45 who? who, who? Uh, t- uh, Tennessee Jack Honey Gaines. Whiskey. Yeah, Jack oh, Daniels. Oh, okay. they the
1: line The only I, people I who make what they call
2: Tennessee I Whiskey. I can't busy. say I really like that yeah, stuff. I even tried the
1: Cola one once. Uh, it is. An NCO in Korea gave me one, and I was like, you know what? It's, it's not, not good. good. It's not I, good. I was really sad because it was his, one of his favorite things, and he was giving it to me. He like, oh, they come in a pack of four. That must be expensive. Yeah, and, yeah. and he was such a good sport about it, but I was like, oh. No,
0: this is, but this is remarkable stuff. I'm very pleased because the issue that I had with the Tennessee Honey Whiskey was, um, because the thing about alcohol, and this is especially true for our mead, is the amount of alcohol you have in there plays a major role in the overall taste of it. Like, this is nice and low percentage, around 7 or 8%, which provides a plenty of room for the flavors of the honey to go through. This batch that I'm currently working on, which is a 8-gallon batch, is upwards of 13 to 14% right now. So, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays into the overall flavor profile of the mead itself. Um, we're diving into our current goings Um The Ministry of Truth is no more; it is on a "quote-unquote" permanent pause. Very good. Yes, this is probably good job. The,
1: shit posters. This is so probably the good best. Good job, news. bullies. Good There's job, cyber I mean, harassment. Not very
2: good. Tracking exactly what was going on.
1: Oh, well, this is a great opportunity for the audience as well. Essentially, shit posters on the internet have full spectrum dominance in information warfare.
2: As usual, but so what was more going on explanation so
0: what was going on is that a this was this is spawned by elon Musk's um in progress takeover of Twitter mm-hmm. um, <coughs> after this was coming of news of Elon Musk taking over Twitter, um, it spurred massive action by the current administration um, actions such as uh, creating. The Department of Disinformation, um, I think it's Department of Disinformation. It's basically a subgroup of the Department of Homeland Security. Right. Um, this was a task force that was basically made um, by Biden because you know naturally they're kind of um, scared of what might come out from this because they need to all of a sudden thwart misinformation or disinformation, right. which, wh- whatever that meant to whoever was in charge. Um, and so that was the major problem. There is, it was a government organization that was meant to decide what was true and not true. People obviously saw what the problem was, and I, I'm, I can like, only like, assume. Let
1: me let me be honest. It's bad enough that corporations do this on their own, like property, like which is mostly just like a public, you know, space essentially. But like letting the government do it is much worse. They're both bad on oh, actually no they're not it's not worse they're both bad they're both unacceptable
0: yeah, i can only assume that but they stopped and just dis, disbanded this department because
1: of the backlash from the so public so embarrassing um they just didn't do it I, i'm i'm su- what's okay so like i'm surprised that like they just gave up like the government is not usually in the business of being embarrassed and caring about that they just they just act on power was it embarrassment i don't know
0: I think it was more or less that they knew they had no power there. Like they ultimately, like it's wouldn't...
1: illegitimate, right? We all know it, but they know it and they don't care. Usually, like yeah, w- when they're talking about like um, what's the latest thing? Like just COVID vaccines. Yeah, there's no legitimacy to half the stuff they say about it, and masks too, especially mm-hmm. that, especially. Yeah, but like they still do it because it's just the wanton will, the power that a lot of these people have in their hearts, which is like respectable on a certain degree, but like. I'm, like, ideologically opposed to that, so, like, no, please, no, none of that, and, like, usually they're not concerned about being embarrassed or being illegitimate even out in the open. They just do it, Yeah. right? So, like, what's different this time? Why do they stop? Who knows? That makes, me, the, that makes me a little the, suspicious. That's
0: the more interesting thing, really. Yeah. I think it was a trial, and they realized that they weren't going to get very far. Oh, you think it was, like,
1: a shit test? Maybe.
0: I think they they, tr- they were absolutely serious about this, and they realized how much of the public was like, no, not happening, and they just sort of killed it because they knew that regardless of their presence, the things that are true that they don't like will still be said, and it's just going to be such a drain on the American economy to you know, keep that thing going.
1: You know what would be a really cool stati- or, uh, study to have conducted? mm um, if anyone like has the ability to um commission a study like this this would be wonderful is there any correlation between the rise of conspiracy theories both like super stupid and super like maybe possible and plausible um is there a is there a uh, correlation uh, what the fuck am i trying to say is there a
2: is there a Coriolis effect <laughs> is, there a Coriolis is there a Coriolis
1: effect, effect between um the the little sub menus and sub pop ups on, you know, stuff that's labeled conspiracy tier stuff and like actual interest in conspiracies. Because like every time there's like a a somewhat weird moon video or Apollo video on YouTube and it's like slightly conspiratorial. Guys, there's the moon is turning red again. The, this month. The thing is, it means the Antichrist is coming at the bottom of the YouTube or the, or, you know, inside of the Facebook and there's a pop-up that says the moon landing was a real event. that really happened. Blah, 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 blah. From Wikipedia. <laughs> Go read more. It's like, maybe that like might make people like think it didn't happen. Right. Cause it's like, you see where I'm going with this. Yeah. Right? Do you think there the might constant be constant jamming
2: and feeding of things? Yeah. Just seeds do you, doubt. Do you, do you think there I might be my news sources exclusively from tabloid media from other countries? Hey. Anything I need an opinion on, I check the tabloids of other countries. The Sun, perfect. Most reliable <laughs> source.
0: <laughs> I got all my news from uh, Babylon Bee at some point in time, mm. and I was surprised that the world wasn't on fire.
2: Babylon B is amazing. It's actually pretty it's good. Really it's not, good. It's really not geni- tabloid, though. It's yeah, they're geniuses. Satire. Yeah. The satire news things are also great. The Old Onion was actually mm-hmm. good. really good. Yeah. Like, the onion from, like, 12 years ago, way better than The Onion now.
0: Get a little bit closer. Get, baby.
1: Get a little bit closer. I'm not going to deep throat the there, microphone. That's
0: good. That sounds great.
1: Uh, cool. Uh,
0: um, let's go on to our three W's. Uh, this is a new sort of thing. We wanted to do sort of like a review of history. The three W's? Yeah, working title. I don't know. Why? Let us know on Twitter, folks. What? If you, what, what, what would Women? be a better title? Why not? Um, <laughs> Women. <laughs> but today, we are covering Dairy.
1: Why?
2: It's just a little thing that I thought of. Why not? Why are you comfortable sucking on cow titties? Why tails, now? But not random female titties. So, um, do you even know? Did you take the cow out to dinner before you got the milk?
0: No. You had to take your milk, wife out to dinner. Milk. It will report me ten years later.
1: Psst, psst. Hey, milk is murder.
0: Milk is murder.
1: You don't have to kill <laughs> cows amazing.
2: to milk them, Jessica. <laughs> Jesus Christ, look at me. Why don't you turn off your ringer? Very professional. Very professional. Jesus. He doesn't want to curse anymore because he's so professional. Very okay. Professional. Let us begin. But shall he doesn't we? know how to turn off I don't know his how to turn off my fucking thumb. ringer because he's not professional. Hey,
1: what's the timestamp we're at right now? Sixteen. 16.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Please add in like a bleep instead of like That was actually editing that out. That was good. That was good. (laughs) good.
0: Thank you for letting me note that down. You're welcome. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. All right. Let's get into milk. milk. Um, So we are going to be covering dairy. And here is the story of dairy. I have jokes I should not make about this. Our journey takes us back to the Neolithic era. Dating from ten thousand two hundred BC to four thousand five hundred BC.
2: Imagine like the first thousand years before they like were able to adapt to drinking milk and was do you just think like that, doing it like do lactose intolerant think, and just fucking shitting themselves. How do you think constantly. the dating scene looked back then? Was it
1: anywhere as bad as it is now?
2: It was more about like <laughs> The look on your face is worth it. <laughs> it was just waiting. It was more about like, I think rape probably. Are you going to cut that out? <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Um, this is also a comedy show at the best of time. At so, the worst like, of times. honestly,
2: like, what did the Romans do when they ran out of women to fuck? They stole them. So do you think they weren't doing that before? I'm confused as how this pertains to dairy. He asked what Me the dating too. scene Why don't was you like. keep going? Oh, okay, <laughs> he, he He legitimately asked a question that I answered. Yeah, he did. So he our
0: did. journey takes us back to Can the new. era, dating from 10,200 BC to 4,500 BC. Our modern bovine companions' ancient ancestors were called oryx, and the mean temperature of the planet was Say two to three again. degrees warmer, according to some sources like Procon's historical timeline of cow's milk. That's a thing. Oryx were the first domesticated eight thousand to ten thousand years ago, evolving into two types of cattle: Bos indicus and Bos taurus. Bos.
2: Yeah. Bos Indicus. <laughs> one of them one of them lives in India. Can you guess which one? Bos Indicus
0: was well adapted that for Spanish? tropical climates, where its counterpart, Bos Taurus, adapted for life in the temperate zones. It is likely that the or- the first Aurochs were milked eight thousand to ten thousand years ago in two different parts of the world, mm-hmm. since domestication is attributed to cow milking. It is likely, however, that European farmers were the first. That being the case, humans have been nice drinking job, cows milk. woo (laughs) thanks for (laughs) being awesome that's being the case humans have been drinking cow's milk for about six thousand to eight thousand years in the infantile state of milk drinking those milk drinkers in the neolithic era were all lactose intolerant
2: yes i mentioned this earlier
0: meaning the shitting (laughs) hole was a disaster a a vast majority of the time through the generations of milk drinkers humans eventually developed the ability to digest milk through a genetic mutation lactase persistence this is the continued activity of the enzyme lactase throughout adulthood, as typically by adulthood, a human's need for milk is diminished. The necessity of suffering through lactose diminished. intolerance is largely a mystery. It is thought that the most likely answer to this dairy dilemma was starvation. The first people to do this likely witnessed the calf suckling on the mothers <laughs> for
2: nourishment and thought, good enough for me. Do you think that at, like at the time, too, they would also just be like, damn, I'm really hungry, but my wa- my wife has big voluptuous milk-filled titties. Maybe I should take a sip of that. Probably not. And they have the same issues? Probably
0: not because that was...
2: drinking human milk might have also contributed to people becoming not lactose intolerant? It all
0: contains lactose. Um, Yes, it does. I would like to think that Neolithic man was not milking their wives. Why not? Because, it's a food source because that Why
2: was specific not? to it's a food specific source specific to the baby, I would imagine. So what if like the baby's weaned? But what if and I she's am still baby? producing milk? What if
1: I am baby? <laughs> what, Look, if, what, if an, what if she has one child baby?
2: and two titties? The math is adding up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it works out. It works out for everyone in the end.
0: The necessity of suffering through lactose intolerance oh, is largely a mystery. It is thought that the most likely answer to this dairy dilemma was starvation. The first people to do this likely saw a calf suckling on the mother for nourishment and thought, good enough for me. Yeah, you read that already. Okay, so another reason... point about
2: lactose intolerance. Have you ever met someone with lactose intolerance? The they le- don't not drink milk and even eat cheese. Have you ever even met a cow? Yeah,
1: I call them unevolved. Ever, Cox, have you ever met a cow before? Have I ever met I'm a cow? I'm slightly racist.
2: So, what, so a lot of people who are lactose intolerant don't just go like oh well i guess i can't have cheese and milk and butter no, they it just anyway. fucking eat it. they suffer
0: through just like the yeah, so person. yeah so i
2: think it's maybe just good enough return to tradition they just did it like it wasn't oh i'm gonna starve Become it's like lactose damn i know it's so gonna the make exact reason my brains out later, the exact reason is still a mystery but damn do i love that cheese yeah mm,
0: i love me some camembert yeah and what is known now as kajawi poland probably pronouncing that wrong you pronounce that very wrong yeah Archaeologists found ancient strainers with evidence of milk fat molecules, which dates the cheese-making process to approximately 5,500 BC. Butter wasn't until about 3,000 years later, in 2,500 BC. Hmm. It is thought that the word butter is derived from the Greek term butryon, or butryon. That's French, stupid. Butryon, which translates directly to cow cheese. Butters first, which I think is kind of redundant... Butter's first hmm. appearance in recorded history so. was on an ancient Sumerian tablet depicting dairy production in its earliest forms, including cow milking and butter making. Hey,
1: um, Sumeria wasn't real. Where is it on the map right now? <laughs> Where is it? Got him. <laughs> this is how the segment works from now on. Yeah. The person bringing the subject yeah, has gets to get shit on. Get shit on the whole thing, and you yeah. have to try your best to just yeah. get
0: through it. <laughs> Milk can be argued to have provided a crucial advancement for our modern world, from allowing the settlers of of the Americas that food stores they needed to survive the initial voyage in the coming years. I really hope that Lieutenant Colonel Jones is listening to this. The history stretches further. (laughs) He's writing. Are you going to cut that out, too? (laughs) I don't know. The history stretches further. Milk in the 18th century wasn't just for making butter and cheese for long voyages. It was also used for vaccinations. Cringe. The common folk of Europe began noticing that milkmaids that milked cows every day were practically immune from smallpox. A little digging later showed that the milkmaids contracted cowpox due to the constant exposure to the cow's udders, resulting in the unintentional immunity to smallpox. Now,
1: like the literal, actual question, is that through drinking it or just being, just touching it? Being around, just, just being like around cow, normal contraction okay. through smallpox.
0: Okay. This discovery okay. led Edward Jenner, a English physician, to develop a vaccine based on the milkmaids. Jenner recovered a sample of the cowpox from the woman, from
2: the women, and used it to infect a young boy named James Phipps, and that's where it went all downhill. There's so many Lieutenant Colonel Joneses out there that I don't believe that they could. Jenner then exposed the boy to smallpox,
0: as as you do. Something some about I guess child testing.
2: Look, if the means justify the ends, it's okay.
0: Jenner then exposed the boy. I have nothing to a ravenous... to say.
2: Jenner then exposed
0: the boy to a ravenous group of smallpox. I'd like patients. to point out that I implied that. It, ravenous
1: it was... smallpox as opposed
2: to like sorry, neutral. Added, <laughs> sorry, I added I added that bit. <laughs> so I would the like pain, to point out that the way that I said that implies that infecting the boy with smallpox was what justified <laughs> finding <laughs> the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, James luckily
0: did not contract the disease. Oh, After more experimentation, well, what was the point of trying to infect him then?
2: To Uh, to see if the
0: immunity worked. After more experimentation, he concluded that exposure to cowpox resulted in smallpox immunity. He then, in true British fashion, went to make money, by which he marketed the new vaccine, eventually making its way to the United States in the early 1800s. After such discoveries, there was a mad dash for cow milk. Distilleries opened dairy farms and started feeding them swill, which was cheap leftover alcohol. Needless to say, the cows became sick, produced low-quality milk, and eventually, the spread of germ-infested milk spread throughout the United States. This spurred French chemist and biologist Louis Pasteur, I was about to say, which helped prove that diseases were the result of germs, and
2: thus became germ theory. Well, technically, he's not the only one because germ theory had been uh, a thing for a while. I forget the guy's name, but there was a doctor in Britain who was working on that with the whole cholera yeah. outbreak and like tracing the outbreak to a certain water pump. Yeah. I oh yeah. So it's not yeah. just yeah, Louis Pasteur. It
1: wasn't exclusive. There was a group that kind of yeah, devised a group germ of theory scientists, who made a yeah, good video yeah. about that on YouTube. Who was that?
2: Um there was a video about Was it Lamino or was it There was a really good video from I forget what they're called, but they do like a animation of it.
1: Yeah. Um Oh, oh it was Extra History.
2: <laughs> Extra history, that's right. Yeah. yeah actually one of their good actual uh videos. Yeah, I mean they had a lot of good series. I always like those series. Yeah.
1: I liked I like the stuff up till the I, haven't, I haven't watched their stuff in a while. Warring States period, that was pretty good. Um Sengoku Jedi or whatever it's called. Yeah, I can't pronounce that at all. Um It's let's see. funny
2: and just, you know, and just they oh, spell oh, it out Admiral Yi, the, ad- the
1: series on Admiral Yi was really good. I liked true. that one they a lot. They did
2: get stuff wrong, but it was like easily digestible short videos. So. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like if I was a history teacher, like I would actually use that stuff.
2: Like, you know, if you were like... If I was a history teacher, I would, it would just be death by PowerPoint. The strong <laughs> yeah, will pass. Right. <laughs> the strong
0: will pass. Those who with the longest endurance. But we are going
2: to go into our first break, so catch us back. And then we're going to pause for five seconds, and then we're going to start talking again like nothing happened. Hey, I'm going to keep talking until... Ready? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second part of episode 24. 23. Uh, 23, of uh, the Quantum Consumer Podcast, and we're here to talk about what we think the hardest part about colonizing Mars might be. What a phenomenal topic. Uh, this was... I um, just thought of it 30 you seconds just ago. just thought of it, and it's just brilliant. It's actually brilliant. Um, he is actually taking notes like you told him to. Well, that's good. Well, the problem is I'm
1: still thinking what my answer would be on sh- such short notice.
2: That's good. Well, Brandon, why don't you start um, off with Yeah,
0: I'll go ahead and start off. So let's break it down into some uh, stages, shall we? So we have, say, Journey there, okay? We have Arrival, we have Setup, and then we have Actual Colonization, okay? Um, now, these could also be, you know, depending on what the plans are for SpaceX, which is the current, you know, company that is going to be kind of pioneering its way to getting us to Mars. Um so let's talk about the journey. Let's talk about the journey to Mars.
2: So an issue I have with that is it's not so much I think the journey, because we're not talking about a manned mission to Mars at this point, which is going that's to be hard to for the yes, first time. Correct. So we're talking about what the hardest part of colonizing Mars is. And if you want to include like the precursor to actually building a colony, then sure, that's that's valid, that's legitimate. Uh, I'm more but or less I feel like going towards
0: the current plan as far as Musk is concerned with how they're gonna do it.
2: Okay, go ahead. Yeah,
0: um, so they're, they're going to send autonomous vehicles, um, which will go ahead and, you know, set things up initially.
2: Most spacecraft are autonomous,
0: anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the uh, building of the initial shelters and stuff will be um, autonomous. Um, and then later on, the um, crewed missions will go out to Mars, okay? Um, now, I suppose we can focus on the challenges for us humans, because realistically, we don't really give a shit about robots, right?
1: picked up on the audio for us at
0: least um our major concern really should be humans right so how humans are going to fare in space and how they're going to fare on the surface of mars um so let's just fast forward let's say they have a colony established um autonomously so the buildings are there everything is good to go what challenges are humans going to face on the journey to mars and living on mars well at, at first you know Glance, the journey to Mars on closest approach is around six months, is what they estimate. So, six to nine months is how long it's going to take in the spaceship, in space, interplanetary space, getting from Earth to Mars.
2: So, if we really want to, there's some near future technologies where um, you could go a lot faster. Of course, you have to wait for the transfer window, which is like once every two years or something like that. Um, but Uh, especially you start getting into like the nuclear rockets and stuff with massive efficiency, because all you're really doing is heating water with a nuclear Mm -hmm. rock or a nuclear reactor. Um, You know, you you can basically get very long periods of thrust. So you can thrust for a very long time towards Mars and then thrust for a very long time breaking. So it's a little bit more, or it's a little bit faster.
0: Yeah. Um, Now with the humans, um, we are quite susceptible to radiation. Um and the greatest thing is one might ask, well then what about the uh people on the ISS?
1: Yeah,
2: they irradiate as fuck. Well, morning. I mean they're inside the magnetic field of the United States or I mean the, the United, United States. States. <laughs> Sorry, the planet belongs to the Our United States. Our freedom spreads far. Um yeah. but yeah, so the, the they're inside the magnetic field of the Earth. Yeah. So
1: I think if yeah, my new 100%. favorite shirt we're never gonna make.
2: Yeah, 100% correct, yeah. They the are, Earth is the United States.
0: They are in the protections of... The magnetic of, field of the United States. They, <laughs> they are in the protections of the uh, magnetosphere that is protecting Earth from really dangerous cosmic rays, um, as yeah. well as the main source of our woes with radiation, the sun. Um, so yes, but once you get interplanetary, you're not necessarily afforded those protections. So the journey would be concerning once you reach interplanetary space. Now, how do we protect the humans from... Radiation over that such long period of time, where you, we do not get the benefit of the magnetosphere.
2: You can just go fast, right? Decrease the amount of
0: time mm. it takes to get there. Um, they are going for the idea for uh, Musk's plan is using some sort of shielding.
2: So shielding is actually not that hard to do. So a lot of the mm-hmm. so there's different types of radiation that we're talking about here. You know, you have alpha, beta, yep. gamma. I think, yeah, um, and so. Uh, the heavier particles are going to get absorbed very easily in things like a piece of aluminum foil or a piece of paper or your clothing. Clothing, yeah. Where, or I mean, I think that might be the lighter particles actually. I forget which how it works um, because the of heavier particles scientists. will be going slower. Okay, so that um, might, yeah. So you can cut down on a lot of radiation just with the skin of the aircraft.
0: Misspoke. Yeah, the he- particles will be going slower. Yeah,
2: and they're also bigger,
0: so they can't penetrate as far.
2: Then, it. I mean, depending on how much stuff you're taking and how many launches you're willing to do, mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't be that hard to make essentially a lead or depleted uranium case, yeah. which you could put people in.
0: Which, realistically, we do have a payload capacity now of about 100 tons.
2: Yeah. I mean, like um, you had the choice of like doing the Saturn V, but the Star Starliner from SpaceX is like... Starship. Starship. Yeah. So I think Starliner might be Boeing. Uh, But it's really big, and it has, or the um, NASA's working on that, uh, what's it, SLH or whatever it's called, SLS maybe. Hmm. They're working on a super heavy rocket. Interesting. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care
0: Also, if we're if we're concerned about weight, because the biggest concern about using lead and that kind of thing, one of the considerations was water. Using water to actually fill the hole and using that as a method of stopping the radiation,
2: which is um, but viable. You need however, a meter of water, I think, which is which viable, may, which is viable on like however it gets on the surface heavy. of Mars. Yeah, it's
0: very heavy very quickly, and then you also have to protect that that water from temperature.
2: Though I wonder how much of like a magnetic field you could make on a spacecraft.
0: That's an interesting take. That'd be very interesting to think. Um, because realistically, all of the magnets that we make as humans are thousands of times stronger than Earth's magnetic field. So, yes, in theory, we could create a large enough magnetic field and create our own radiation shield. Wouldn't work.
1: Around the, Wouldn't why not, work. ship. It would just pull the iron right out of your blood. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's hilarious. <laughs> Hayes' his, his take on the hardest That's part. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but then your
0: blood goes bad.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, but this gets into, like, the early stages of not necessarily yeah. colonizing Mars, um, but, like, just the first crew. I, I do to have an ours. answer now, though. If we do. Uh, I was
1: thinking about it for a few minutes. I think I have an answer. might not be right, but the first thing that strikes me as, like, really difficult would be um, not why the original people go to explore it, Right. Why would a regular person with the means to get a ticket and go to Mars? Why would someone want to go?
2: Um,
0: that's a that's an interesting question. How do you get Besides people... the
2: conspiracy theory of Elon Musk trying to remake the apartheid government because right. he comes from yeah. South Africa right. and right on Mars, and then maybe kind a bunch of, a of races might want to go. Terrible thing to but just accuse somebody of. The, um, <laughs> it's one of my favorite conspiracy theories though. So the um. So besides, like, that, My dinner,
1: I'll meet you on the Mars. <laughs> yeah, so
2: the, uh, what are the reasons why anyone ever decided to leave? Comfy, you know, religious Lancaster persecution? maybe, they, so? uh
1: monetary gain to be had on the new place.
2: Yeah, exactly. So you're listing some very good reasons but why like, you might just want no to one go. No one's religious so, anymore. So realistically. And what, what kind of like you notables know are out so there? Like at least half of the United States religious. At least half. And you know, that's just, you know just counting Christians,
0: I think. And this is probably the more accurate take, yeah. is vanity. Well, yeah, you know I people would love to be put in the books in history saying, like, the first person to go colonize Mars.
1: I want to get in well, Wild thing. West shootouts in the Mar- Martian saloons.
2: Well, if there's nothing, like, tying me down to Earth, right? Like, let's say I'm just a single young man uh, with maybe not super close to family or maybe, you know, even if it's not a one-way trip, maybe, you know, there's not just a lot here for me. Why not Why go not? to Mars right? if I can? Yeah. And just that, like the idea of a new start, yeah. And that's been that's been a thing for a long time. Like that's a reason why a lot of people came to the United Mm -hmm. States. Even you know, they if they could bring their family, it's a new start for their family. Like you're there doing something new, and you're not relying on old world or Mm -hmm. you know Earth style living or culture. You can go there and make your own way. Yeah, exactly. Hypothetically.
0: So, we, we address the different types that they're doing. So, we address the water, which can get heavy very quick if you're shielding an entire ship. You also brought the great point of generating it's a not massive. not heavy if it's steam, stupid. When you're, when you're generating a massive. Um, do you know why that would be less effective? I'm just being stupid. I know, but it draws great questions that we can teach the audience. But. He's not being stupid. The, he is in a state the, of stupid. <laughs> the, the water um, <clears throat> would get heavy off, the, off obviously very quickly, and mm-hmm. so would the lead, and so would the depleted uranium. I wonder, another if it, thing that is good,
2: depending on what the absorption rate per like thickness, if it would be lighter to use water or depleted uranium. That's a good thing, because depleted that, uranium is way denser, yeah. so you need way less thickness.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that they're using is there are particular gases that absorb radiation very well. Um, if I believe the study that I saw, better than lead, which is interesting because it, after all, it is a gas. And we all know that gases aren't particularly the densest of things. Well, typically. in a way,
2: like, technically, if you count plasma as just a deionized or an ionized gas, I mean, then if that counts. I think plasma is sure. very good at absorbing radiation.
0: N- not that. Uh, like a standard bog standard gas, just filling a cavity. And I believe it's one of the noble gases. Um, I believe it's krypton? Not krypton. Um, argon. Argon Isn't or radon.
2: Also kind of what, like, ozone does. Um,
0: ozone is the result of, um, I mean, Oh, so yeah, it's like it, oxygen, it, it absorbs oxygen
2: making ozone because of it absor- energy because, so that's how it absorbs yeah. radiation. Yeah. It so absorbs, it's using it in a process.
0: Yeah. It absorbs, it absorbs the UV part of the spectrum, not necessarily the more damaging things like yes, UV, but that's super easily. We just go inside the ship, aluminum foil. Yeah. Um, or, you know, the more concerning things are obviously the x-rays Gamma and the significantly high energy um, cosmic rays, and interestingly enough, um, or sorry, gamma rays, particularly, which are cosmic rays. Um, interestingly enough, people on the International Space Station and the magnetic sphere of the Earth—not necessarily perfect—but uh, there are stories of <clears throat> astronauts and cosmonauts experiencing flashes of blue randomly. And
2: after, That's yeah, so when a charged particle of after, some sort hits your eye and after some a study. Lot
0: of They realized that what was happening was there was Cherenkov radiation going on in their eyeballs where a cosmic ray would enter in any means and go through the fluid in the eye and create Cherenkov radiation, which is the same principle that causes reactor cores to glow. So they were experiencing Cherenkov radiation in their eyeballs. He's
2: taking this like... Of course, way more. Yeah, no, that's just like isn't that, that, isn't, that. sounds it's uncomfortable. Unnerving. It's unnerving, yeah, right? Yeah. And
0: so you can imagine these these astronauts who are just doing their duties on the station, and just bright blue flash, and then nothing.
1: And oh, like, you switched hey, world lines again? Hey, we have welcome
0: to, to yeah, the new river. Right? <laughs> hey, we have to report this, and they're like, okay, we'll get oh, on I'm this. it's fatter in and this timeline. And it's interesting because you oh, look at
1: I'm the, a schizo in this
0: timeline. And, and what's more interesting about this story is that the likelihood of that happening is very slim because this is
2: how we typically detect neutrinos. So I actually want to answer my own question. Yeah, sorry. Because we've gone very far into your theories on like – and I still say it's kind of like the initial journey, right? Yeah. Not so much colonization. So imagine this is well into the future, right, uh, if we have – Uh, gone to there. We've scouted the best sites. We've scouted, you know, mineral-rich places where we can make money, and we want to put a permanent settlement of people here in this area of Mars. In my opinion, the hardest part of this is going to be volume of traffic. It's not just one, like, rotator, right, that you might have out there that, you know, continuously just orbits in a way that will visit both planets. You would need Thousands and thousands and thousands of tons, possibly per week or per or per day, going to Mars of equipment, heavy like heavy machinery, food, mm-hmm. all kinds of supplies. Like think about everything that like an island nation might yeah. need to import, and they can because they might have a port and big mm-hmm. container ships come in. But it's
1: not moving all over the place. But you don't
2: have you don't have a possibly six month or less yeah. journey there, and you don't have to send you know. Thousands of them in one, you know, one like two month period, waiting, you know, in the transition on a right? moving target. On well, that's not so much the hard part, but the fact that you have to wait every two years to send these, and then you have to send to be like, the most a, efficient a yeah. fuck ton, right? Yeah, yeah, to support a large amount of people who are there working on Mars and are not self sufficient.
0: And It'll be interesting, and that's exactly what they're talking. That's what they're theorizing is, or thinking about too. That's definitely something that they're taking into account. Is like, okay, well, how do we sustain? a colony that's still in development who is not necessarily right now able to go collect resources because there are minerals on Mars, right? There's no objection to that. There's iron in the, in the crust and everything like that. Yeah, so I mean, until they can reach the point where they can harvest materials, process the materials, and then replenish things that get broken is a very great point. Is like how, what, how long is that going to take? I'm sure they have like a goalpost. I have to say like, we have to allow this, this colony to be self-sufficient by 60%. In two years, you know, what I mean, they probably have those kind of milestones that they need so
2: to achieve. That's probably not even possible. So think about how much effort goes into, um, so topsoil erosion. Right? You ever, you ever uh, like seen the agricultural disaster that is like a flood in that region that washes away the topsoil? That doesn't come back like in a long time. So to regenerate enough topsoil on earth takes forever basically to the point where you may as well just move it from somewhere else. Right. But to create it from scratch on Mars is going to be really hard. So what we're going to topsoil. How top. is this? So the, most of the nutrients on like in the earth's crust is within like the first like foot, I guess of dirt. And Are you, you referencing for like farming? For nutrients. Mm. Yeah. For farming because plants don't just like grow out of dirt they need to take things from the dirt
0: i believe they would solve that through hydroponics
2: um and utilizing their waste itself to yeah so you can fertilize it recycle for But it, it's going to be like you know not ideal i believe
0: i believe they would still have to
2: supplement some things like hydroponics you can say oh yeah just use hydroponics like it's some magic it word it still has
0: like, the issues like you do need to supplement some stuff so sort the, of the, some issue,
2: the issue is the yield like you want industrial quantities mm-hmm. of this shit right So you want to have, like, soil that's viable if you can, and you want to be able to then also fertilize it. Yeah. And um, basically, it's going to be very hard for farms to end up being uh, self-sufficient on Mars. Like, you're going to have to be constantly pumping artificially, um, you know, artificial nutrients and stuff into
0: it. When they do develop the farms is – there would be, you know, in a significant part of the future, they would be – Utilizing waste products of themselves and likely the food that they're not eating cut offs from plants and vegetables. Well, of course,
2: you've got composting. And- but
0: you would obviously compost. That would be a major part of it um, as, as, as
2: prepping the fields to be more but it, viable. But it's essentially going to take a while. It's going to take a while. It's going to take, take a very long time. You're going to have to turn like completely dead soil yeah. into viable, yeah. nutritious soil for crops. Virtually, yeah. And then I also wonder, you know, where are you getting your protein sources from? It might be, like, the, you know, roach burgers.
0: Yeah, veg- vegetable-based, um, you know, proteins <laughs> Just that do exist. kill the insects that live in the yeah, colony and vegetable turn based them into or, or like, protein. Or, like, uh, what's being pushed in the United States or as kind of a thing is actual insect-based protein. Yeah, it's, that's roach burgers. Yeah, yeah, it's crickets uh, in this particular company I'm talking about. Um, so the journey, you know, there are trying to avoid as much radiation as possible. Um, They do still have to exercise to maintain their bone uh, density and muscle mass. It will be Um, interesting
2: to see what people living on Mars for multiple generations actually does. As um, far as development. As far as, like, body development, because there's going to be way less gravity. So unless people are, like, making artificial gravity chambers to work out in and grow up in.
0: For those that don't know, it is 30% of Earth's gravity.
2: Um, And then it would be really funny if you were, like, a normal... From from Earth, person, mm-hmm. and you show up on Mars, and you're just like way stronger than everyone. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone else is like way taller than you, and like weird and lanky, but yeah. they don't have any muscle mass. So you just walk around, able to like Superman punch people.
0: No, it'd be an interest. It'll be an interesting thing. So like you know how well, you you can assume what it would feel like to lift like a hundred pounds, right?
2: Mm. Now imagine it's only thirty. Like
0: now imagine being on Mars, and I, I believe this would be the case: is you are on Mars, and you are developing, you know, whatever. Let's say you are here on Earth, you lift 100 pounds, you know exactly what that feels like. We'll say 50 kilograms. Yeah, you are now on Mars, and you're lifting this 50 kilograms. And I believe, since your muscles would naturally atrophy and stuff like that, that would feel this exact
2: same. Hmm. Maybe over time. But instead of lifting... You know, so you're still lifting fifty kilograms of mass, uh-huh. and at sea level, mass and weight are at sea level on Earth. Of course, you know, mass and weight are interchangeable um, to a point where you can make people very mad by telling them that pounds is a actually a measurement. Yeah, <laughs> it's a measurement of, of force, really, because it's a measurement of force. So indirectly, it's a measurement of mass. So kilograms, pounds, they're both kind of measurements of mass at sea level on Earth. So maybe you need to lift three hundred pounds, and if you do that, maybe you don't atrophy. Maybe. Or yeah. th- you know, two hundred kilograms, right? Because you need the equivalent of one hundred fifty kilograms. I yeah. mean uh, you need probably you be close need to one hundred and like ten. You would need the gravitational equivalent of what you'll be doing on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And so you could maybe keep yourself from atrophying. And at first, while you get there, like imagine there is a city there, and there is like you know you're four generations into people like living on Mars, and then you mm-hmm. show up there like Arnold Schwarzenegger in um in, Total uh, Recall, Total Recall, and then you just like are Classic. able to just. I don't think he does. I don't think they touched on this in the movie. Or like uh, John Carter. I think they they may, but you, yeah, John Carter. You're just Superman yeah. basically because you're just fucking strong, jumping at least over at things. least for a couple months yeah, until yeah. your muscles <laughs> atrophy and then you're like everyone else. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So, um, you know, food definitely is going to be an interesting. Thing.
2: Um. Specifically, the self sufficiency because it's going to take a massive I mean, amount of I space infrastructure I to keep like even that... a few thousand people alive on Mars. It's going to take a massive amount of space infrastructure and. So, personally, I don't think that the self-sufficiency will be a problem.
0: I, I'll, I'll, re, I'll re-say it. I don't think it is going to be impossible. I think it is going to be a pain in the ass to get there.
2: Well, it also depends on what you mean by self-sufficiency. Because if you mean they can make food and they can keep themselves alive on food, that's all well and good. Food and replenishment of supplies as far as repairs to but, certain equipment. So, the machinery capabilities that might be possible in the short term or even long term on Mars might not be that great. So if you look at like even, I think, 1940s uh, New Zealand, mm-hmm. there was an issue where they needed to make tanks, right? And the off chance that of the Japanese were able to push through and like invade New Zealand. Uh, and this is where I think it's called the Bob Semple tank comes from. And so the thing is, they don't have the industry that's capable of making what they need. So what you're trying to say is don't play New Zealand and Hearts of Iron. So I mean, sure. But the um <laughs> So what they are able to do is they're able to take a tractor and put corrugated steel plates on it yeah. that could hypothetically protect it from rifle fire. But because they're missing out on certain key parts of infrastructure, they have to ship everything in. Like, think about like where are they getting all of the materials from to make uh printed circuits right right they might not be able to make printed circuits so they have to ship them from somewhere else like look at russia even russia right now is not making enough semiconductors to like make missile seeker heads for their uh you know guided munitions right so they have they're having to tear and repurpose um semiconductors out of or like you know processor chips out of like chinese electronic electronic appliances and use them for other purposes because they don't have the capability of making it. And this is a modern country on Earth which isn't capable of making things like that. So there's a lot of things that might be necessary for people to be self-sufficient or to literally live. That's a great point. Because imagine if everything that you do, everything that is keeping you alive is controlled through machines because yeah. you're in a you know climate-controlled Computers, environment. Everything. And you need to be able to get replacement parts for those because, especially in high-radiation environments like Mars, they might degrade faster. So... Uh, there's a lot of things, like small things that people might not think about, that will kill this colony. Right. The
0: semiconductor problem would be a very big issue if you if you if a chip blows out and you don't have actual spares ready. Yeah, like imagine SOL, if imagine if there's a
2: nuclear war on Earth and this colony is not able to produce semiconductors. Sol, they are they're fucked. Then yeah. that's it. Because eventually, if they can't get to the point where they can make semiconductors, they will and run like the, out of working ones. The processes
0: that go in, are involved in semiconductor you know, manufacturers pretty pretty It's well evolved.
2: understood, but it is it is technically difficult. So, so that could be another issue, especially if like literally Earth just stops being a thing or like all of a sudden there's a nuclear war, you know, yeah. people are still gonna be alive on Earth probably. Yeah. But they're not gonna be able to send thousands of launches in the transfer window. Yeah. That's true.
0: All right. Um I think we're going to wrap it up unless you like to say anything.
2: No, no, I was I was I didn't really
1: have a lot to uh... To give on that one but we could
0: we could add your question in
1: right now yeah why not all right well i've seen um Get a lot of
2: for me to be reductive
1: i've seen a lot of um i like guess it's kind of gently related to this thing i'm about to mention but it always pops up in, in in my general interest when when this comes around you know the news cycle so like they c- talking about quantum computing you know um I guess is, like, sometimes popular for, like, um, wired or popular mechanics and, you know, uh, stuff on the internet like that. And every time I see that, it's interesting, but it's like, mm, I don't care. I don't even understand regular computing. Who You know, whatever. But what I am interested in is telecommunications. And I've always wondered, why is there such an insistence, especially from, like, the fan scientific community, like the Reddit side of this whole thing? Why are they so insistent that there will never be a way to have near light, like near light speed or light speed communication beyond like a light year?
0: You mean like F- faster than light communication?
1: You could call it that, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't understand why, A, just because, because like there's, there's two things that make me mad here. It's one, things that were, conceived to be impossible in the past have routinely been, you know, changed because like, you know, material science gets better. Science or or improves, or yeah. methods become uh more refined and more efficient. So like, you know, nowadays, like what
2: my atom th- don't jiggle jiggle. It spins.
1: Man, I missed that. I don't know.
2: That's a pop culture reference. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh <laughs> yeah, that's why I missed it. It's called uh, a meme, retard. Look, at oh, man. Oh my god.
1: Memes. C-
0: continue, please. This is this so, is so.
1: Basically, that's one part of it. But the second part that I don't get is their their explanations. Like some of these, yeah. some of the Reddit guys will be like, if "Oh, you, hey, I would here's love, why it doesn't work." Right? I would love for you to look up some of those answers. So, so, so here's here's the main one that I just don't buy, which is, for me, if you had an an entangled pair. And let, let's just, fuck it, let's just say from, uh, you know, a moon base to Earth, right? Why would it be impossible to have faster-than-light communications, like, in Morse code, between a bunch of
2: entangled pairs... Technically, it doesn't even have to be a Morse code. I mean, basically... I'm just making this very simple, right? You can make yeah. one spin yeah, yeah, yeah. a zero and one spin a one. Yeah. Boom, there's... I, I don't
1: I want to get into the engineering bit yet, but... Basically, at
2: the base level for the
1: audience, yeah, and for me because you know, again, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't care for the science of it, uh, or I don't care for the computing part of it, I don't care about the efficiency of it, yeah, I just care about like the theory, right? Yeah,
2: so hypothetically, if like you can transmit data instantaneously, there's no reason why you couldn't have like a hub transmission area where what you have is a bunch of one half of the entangled pairs that are on another planet mm-hmm. and then all you just basically route your internet like we have you know Ethernet to fiber converters. You can right. have a fiber to quantum quantum converter. Right. Basically right. exactly, what you're doing right? is so, changing it. But if it doesn't work it doesn't work. So, so here, will here's you, what
1: they say. Here's one of the main reasons they say this doesn't work is when you observe the pair one of the pair, the only thing you get to know is what the other pair is, right? Like up or down or whatever the spin state is, right? So they're saying on one hand, it's impossible to observe one without knowing the other, which is the point, right? But you can you can adjust them without observing them. And, that's, and then they're like, but there, it, that doesn't mean you could just ch- make what, it. What a- does that even mean? Okay. Because
2: that just so sounds from, like.
0: So from what I'm trying to pick up there is they're saying that you cannot, it won't work because whenever you observe one, um, how it actually works is when you observe one, the state of the other one changes. Right. The entire idea, even though you can
1: change the spin state of the other
2: one the without inter- observing it, somehow.
1: the
0: entire idea of of quantum entanglement. And the, but what
2: if you just observe both?
0: The issue. Ooh. The issue is, is here we are. Um, now everyone likes to cite Schrodinger's cat um, as like a meme, or you know, and it's not necessarily, you know, it wouldn't be effective by that macro scale. All Schrodinger was trying to do was explain superposition. Yeah, right. Right? Which was you don't know the state of something until you observe it. Right. Um and this is exactly true for quantum entangled pairs. Is mm-hmm. you don't know the spin of a particle
1: but until you, you can adjust it.
0: Until you observe it. Now there might be some more minutiae things of this thing that they describe.
1: Like like imagine that, right? Imagine believing you turn can't... off your ringer Hayes
0: Oh, is that me? But what they are saying is true, because imagine this, is we have a particle, let's say I have a particle and you have a particle that are quantum entangled, right? Um, it's it's true, because at the current state, we haven't opened our hands. Let's say they're in our hands and we're, we're cupped over them, right? Right. At this current state, we don't mm-hmm. know, either of us, what the current down. state is, right? right? Or but l- if I look at mine, it's up, right? yours is down. Uh, you look at yours, mm-hmm. right? The current state of mine has changed. Right. That's fine. That's all well and good. I'm not really entirely convinced. And we could tie this into normal computing t- science right. as in as in like bit rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, or we can say look rates, where we are going to look X amount of times a second, right? Right. So you are going to do your thing. You are the transmitter. Mm-hmm. It's going to be dedicated things. You're the transmitter. Yeah. Right. And this is going to be very crucial timing, probably having to be done by a quantum computer. Um, well, even probably a normal computer. Where Where I'm going to be checking... Every so often. you may as well make the
2: the bowed rate be like 192, just like normal.
0: Yeah, to see if my particle has changed at all. And what you can do, because me checking my particle will also have an effect on your particle, you can just disregard. It doesn't really matter, right? Mm -hmm. And through careful timing, you can create a system for communication. Right? That's what I
1: thought. And this is the. Why does everyone naysay that? Nah, hang this? on.
0: This is on the. This
2: is the on paper. You're going to fucking pop sci websites where not, nobody not, actually not, knows not what they're Not that it's not
1: about. difficult. I'm just saying, uh, like, yeah, why yeah. do people. And uh, we don't know insist. what we're talking about. Yeah, but let's, why do people insist? Let's be
2: clear.
0: Let's be clear on the sort of. Science is. Well, pop, popular
2: science is a religion. Yes. Yeah. I that's agree. Why, 100%. Yeah.
1: Yes. Let's
0: be clear on the type of people that you're describing to me as mm-hmm. they are the ones who. It's probably a, so, calling out someone that we a, know but it's a pseudo-intellectual oh,
2: at the bottom of the Mariana trench you can shrink a steel ball the 130th its <laughs> size.
0: okay so i think behind there is is those people as that you're describing are a type of pseudo-intellectual where they discredit science um and say something is going to be impossible for x y and reason and you're absolutely right there's a lot of scientific fact that we that we know now or current currently leading scientific theory that we know now, which was thought to be impossible before, right? We thought that we would never be able to capture antimatter. Lo and behold, we did.
1: Ta-da. Yeah, you're looking at them right now.
0: <laughs> Negative all around. Negative <laughs> yeah. matter. So so the idea that we would never be able to advance to a point where we can send basic data, through mm-hmm. using quantum entanglement is silly, right? Is silly. Yeah. And, okay. Good. I'm and not crazy. To those people, I say, well, apparently, of course, I take whatever China says they've done with a grain of salt because apparently China has already done this.
1: Oh yeah, between the mountain and then their satellites. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: So apparently they've
1: already done this. So it was like a thirty percent success rate. So so th- they said thus, kind of already in the way of proving them wrong. Because here's what I'm imagining: I'm imagining a, a a distant future, right, where it's like, so imagine you have two entangled radios right and you know they just they are what they are one sits in the pentagon one is on a you know the backpack in a backpack of a special forces team right and they gotta you know they're like oh fuck i think i left the oven on at home let me That's top secret shit i need to to, i need to ask right they pull out the phone they dial the pentagon it's the only phone that it can actually call right that'd be funny um and then, uh, you know, those guys pick up, and it's all quantum entangled stuff, right? You, you have I have limited, I have limited bits, man, like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, well,
2: so it's probably like I said, it's going to be, you, it, its application is not so much going to be like a oh, I have a mobile communicator. No, I got it, phone. I got it, but
1: I'm just saying, like, the, the thing that's really interesting is the idea where you would have it's a, it's a, it's, in, it's encrypted out of the box, as in like it's no transmission to detect, no transmission to steal. And even if you could even detect such a thing, you can't read it because it's like you're not entangled with it.
2: Well, that's interesting. So, yeah, because there's no transmission happening. So where I see the actual application is literally like I was talking about is old super long range communication where you want to Mm -hmm. take one uh, wide area network and one other wide area network. Very far away from each other. Or a wide area network possibly on Mars or. I mean, that's how I like to think that
0: uh, hailing in Star Trek works. That's mm. how I like to think about it. Okay. Like they just have quantum like, a, they just
2: have a bank of atoms that Either are like quantum a, entangled yeah. to like literally They're everything else. Equivalent to different channels. Or at least you could do quantum entanglement to a hub. Yeah. And then that hub will like switch like, you know, an old operator switch like you unplug a 6.5 millimeter yeah. jack and stick yeah. it yeah. into other places. Because I
0: think that would be, that's like my nice little, that's how I like to think about it. Because it's for, neat. For long
2: range. Yeah. Tails, for a, yeah. super long range. Like because it's pretty to, much
0: live. Live time because imagine there like, is delay in some episodes. Because imagine, like, uh, like having a like hailing Earth from Mars and having to wait 20 minutes as people just stare at the screen for the delay for, for light, you know.
2: Are they more than one um, AU away, Mars?
0: Uh, is it one
2: more than or it more is, than one AU? It, it depends on what about, time of year, It's I guess. around,
0: yeah, it's about depending on the average time is about 12 or 20 minutes, I believe, for light time. Look that shit up, Jamie. (laughs) But yeah, I think uh, to to more better answer your question, Hayes, is that, you know, to and honestly, they should for these people who claim to love science and know science, uh, they should feel ashamed of themselves. Yeah, because (coughs) what they're basically saying is all these theoretical physicists are wasting their fucking time. And so they should just go home. It's never going to happen. So just go home, and you know if if scientists started listening to the general public, then no headway would be ever made in science, and we'd still be believing that the fucking Earth
1: was flat. That's a great so idea. That's a great idea. I love it. I love it. I love it.
2: So at the closest approach, the so Mars is like seventy-five million kilometers, whatever it said there, but it's or whatever thing. Basically, it's closer than the Sun. So the closest approach would be like you know five minute trip mm-hmm. of your light to get there.
0: Yeah. I think what is the average? Like twelve minutes. I don't know what the average, average is because there also the be air.
2: periods of time where they're out of communication unless you yeah. have a repeater satellite. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a DSN repeater satellite space network, a repeater satellite over <laughs> the sun. It's a real thing. You laugh. So you could put it like uh, <laughs> 90 degrees out of phase on either side of the sun possibly, or you'd only need one 90 degrees out of phase compared to us. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Basically the geometry of that would work so that you could always like ping the repeater, but not earth or Mars directly. And that would take much, much longer. But in some parts of the year, it would be, you know, five minutes for that email to get there. Mm-hmm. Unless you use quantum entangled stuff. Yeah. If that even works uh, to basically just send it immediately.
0: But, you know, I cannot say definitively of, and of course I was just spitballing like a likely Avenue that they would do this. So just suggesting we perfected, Quantum entanglement, right? Mm-hmm. So, just we perfected creating and maintaining higher accuracy, quantum better entangled pairs, yeah. is that could be a system of use? Is we have a dedicated transmitter particle and a dedicated receiver particle? So, you know? basically
2: would have some kind of thing where you encase them in, you know, a radiation-proof environment, and you, because yeah. you don't want any charge At particles running state, in there, char- and ruining your issues. Anything and...
0: quantum states are extremely fragile. That's why quantum computing is taking. so And then, long. then you
2: gotta wonder how they're gonna get it from where they've entangled it to the distant end and you, you can have like got you got a you ruck you'd it over to, there you probably have to have a receive and transmit but you could probably get like a you know very high speed transmission and then it's literally oh
1: i have limited qubits it's just
2: <laughs> it's just fiber to quantum and then quantum yeah. back to fiber and then eventually fiber back to ethernet to your uh, from your modem to your yep. uh to your router and then that's it that's internet you could connect to the internet like to the point where you could probably have speeds where you could play your esports tournament on Mars mm-hmm. and you'd be playing against, you know, the Earth team of whatever Call of Duty one you know, Call of Duty one hundred or whatever you're playing. You mean Call of Duty X D? That's like, you know, not necessarily far future, but we don't know how to do it yet, so
0: let us check.
2: I guess that could be it for the podcast. Yeah.
0: Yes, I think we are good. No questions on the Twitter, so thus we shall end. Thank you all so
2: much for joining. Like us. anyone who reads your Twitter. <laughs> Yet yeah, anything is anything this is can why be possible. Any subscribers just gone from that. <laughs> but uh, thank you all so much
0: for joining us for this episode of Quantum Consumer Podcast. Uh, this was episode twenty-three. Catch us next time where we are going to do something else. As always, have a good one.